Well, good morning, everyone. Can we give an extra hand to the praise team this morning? Um, that, was, uh, that was absolutely awesome uh, to set our minds and our hearts to worship. And now uh, we're going to turn to God's Word, and we're going to turn to the message this morning. And we're on week two of our Foretold series, and we are examining each piece of Isaiah 9-6, where we're given this prophecy from Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace." When Isaiah wrote this prophecy of the coming wonderful counselor, he was spurring Israel to remember that their Messiah, their coming Messiah, was indeed coming to establish his kingdom. And that's why we see in Isaiah 9-7, the government will be on his shoulders. There's a new order coming that will be fulfilled with Jesus Christ. And last week we reflected that Isaiah was writing nearly 800 years before Christ's birth. And as we talked about last week, this was a period of history, especially in the time of the Jews in in, in Jerusalem and throughout Israel, a period of history that was tumultuous as a group of Assyrians were on the march and they were taking people into captivity captivity by, by droves. There was an outside threat and there was an internal threat of just dissension among them. And so Isaiah's prophecy gave the people of God a hope that they so desperately needed a child would be born to fulfill the Davidic covenant. And we can see this covenant throughout the entire Old Testament, from the book of Samuel to the books of First and Second Chronicles. This covenant was an unconditional pact made between God and David through which God promises David and all of Israel that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come from the lineage of David and the tribe of Judah, and he would establish a kingdom that would endure forever. And so it is with that context that we return again to Isaiah 9-6, where last week we looked at Jesus fulfilling the role as our Prince of Peace. And we gave this challenge last week as we left and we went into our week. What does it look like for us when we have a peacekeeping mandate? How did you all do with your peacekeeping mandate this week? Show some in any places of here, there, or wherever. I hope so. I was reminded about this yesterday morning, actually, because this idea of peacekeeping kept going through my mind. Um, and it's interesting that it was because I had the, uh, an enviable task of being a volunteer referee at a basketball tournament. And believe it or not, even with 11-year-old boys, there are people in the crowd who disagree once in a while with your calls. And so one particular mom was extremely upset with me and was not happy with the direction of the game. And so the game ends, and we catch each other out in the commons. And I don't know what prompted me to do it. I think it was the spirit a little bit and everything that we've been talking about and trying to live. But I just graciously approached her. I said, ma'am, I said, I really enjoy watching your kids play. And I want to assure you we're going to do everything we can and work really hard to give them a great experience by reffing the best that we can. And she looks up at me and she just went, thanks. (laughs) And you know what? I didn't hear from her again the rest of the day. Now, this strategy worked a lot better than what I have done in the past. And that is simply look at them and go, do you want to blow the whistle? That doesn't work so well. And we all grow up. We all grow in our faith. We all grow in our depth of understanding how to live out our mandates that Jesus gives us. But that's a peacekeeping mandate. 
Today we're going to look at Jesus as a wonderful counselor. That Isaiah calls the Messiah the wonderful counselor indicates a kind of character that this king has, this king who's coming. And the word, word wonderful in this passage literally means beyond comprehension. Incomprehensible, if you will. Wonderful means beyond comprehension. Now, you can think about all the ways that we throw around the word wonderful in our culture today. And it's all well-meaning. But maybe we talk about a wonderful meal that we just had. Or maybe we talk about a wonderful night that we had hanging out with our friends. Maybe for some of you, you're debating about how wonderful you expect this next Nebraska football coach to be. Yes or no. And maybe it's a time when Beth will just look at me and say, Jeff, you're such a wonderful husband. Once in a while, she'll do that. You see, we say things that are wonderful sometimes when we are talking about them being pleasant or lovely or just a little bit likable. But this wonderful that we translate from Isaiah 9-6 is very different. And I want to go right to the Hebrew translation to know exactly what Isaiah is saying. This Messiah, Jesus, will cause us to be full of wonder. Jesus is wonderful in a way that is boggling to our human minds. The same word for wonderful, and I did a little cross-referencing as I was preparing this message, the same word for wonderful is used in Judges 13, 18. And I want to put that, I put that verse in your notes, and I, I appreciate Jennifer getting the Hebrew translation out there for you. But it's a quick study, but a quick study of this translation shows that when Manoah, Samson's father, asked the Lord what his name was, the angel of the Lord responded, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? In other words, why do you ask my name, since it is beyond your understanding? That same translation in Judges is the tra same translation in Isaiah 9-6. Wonderful meaning beyond our understanding. And just a quick side note on this, if I could take one quick detour. As I read that passage in Judges, I am inspired by that, and I take strength in this for this reason. When the angel of the Lord tells Manoah, why do you ask my name since it is beyond your understanding? I think this gives us pause during the times when we want immediate responses to God. When we say, God, what is your design in this precise moment? God, why is this happening? God, explain this. God, explain that. Sometimes we have to continually remind ourselves that our God is beyond our understanding. If God wasn't, there wouldn't be any reason for faith, would there? The Bible reminds us that we walk by faith and not by sight. And we put our faith in a God that is so wonderful, so powerful, so all-present that he is beyond our understanding. And there's where our faith comes in. Wonderful means, in the Hebrew context, beyond our comprehension. And in John 14, 9, Jesus answers people around him by saying, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, we see God's will. We see God's purpose. We see God's meaning for us through Jesus and in the short time that Jesus was on this earth, the times that he was healing and teaching and preaching and caring for people on this earth, in the sacrifice that he made on the cross, and in his resurrection that conquered death, we see a Messiah who was wonderful beyond our comprehension. 
I wanted to land there a little bit today because I wanted to spend some time establishing when we use the word wonderful to talk about Jesus as a wonderful counselor, that is deeply, deeply rooted in way more than just wonderful that we understand today. It is beyond our comprehension how wonderful he is. And so Jesus demonstrates his wonder through these ways. Number one, he demonstrates his wonder through his birth. The simple fact that he was born of a virgin is mind-blowing, isn't it? The virgin will conceive a child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, Matthew 1.23. Jesus shows us his wonder through his teachings. We learn in Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. We also read, if we take a look next, we we learn about Jesus' wonder through his perfection. We learn about his perfection. A couple verses I want to share with you here, starting with Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's an example for us. His perfection. Matthew 5.48 says it this way. Be perfect, therefore, as best we, as we humanly can. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And next, quite simply, I think the most amazing of all, his resurrection. Don't be alarmed in Mark 16.6. It says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So we see the wonder in his birth, in his teaching, in his perfection, and in his resurrection. Jesus demonstrated his wonderfulness in all of these various ways. His amazing teaching, his perfect life, his resurrection from the dead. Jesus taught many wonderful things that that are counterintuitive to our human minds. He says, blessed are those who mourn. He says, rejoice and be glad in persecution. He tells us to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us. His kind of wonderful is awe-inspiring, and it's superior to any other kind, for he is perfect in every way, as Matthew 5.48 shares with us. So when we read that Jesus, the Messiah, will be a wonderful counselor, we establish what that wonderful means. And now I want to take a look at the second piece of that. The counselor, Jesus, and what a counselor does in our lives and how we take advantage and how we gain growth through using and seeking wise counsel. The second part of the Messiah's title is the word counselor. And in ancient Israel, a counselor was portrayed to be a person such as a wise king, someone say like Solomon, people who gave guidance to their people. And Isaiah uses this word again, counselor, in chapter 28, verse 29. When he describes the Lord, he says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Jesus is our wisest counselor. And he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what is in each side, what is inside of each of us. He is able to advise people thoroughly because he is qualified in ways that no human counselor is. 
In Christ is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians 2.3. And it includes all knowledge of the human race and of human nature. Jesus always knows, and we're assured of this in Hebrews 4, Jesus always knows what we are going through, and he always knows the right course of action. That sounds like quite a counselor, doesn't it? Now, when I think of human counselors, and I've been blessed to um, work with and interact with many of them, I know some of the ways that they use, some of the things that they do to try to counsel and to help the people that they're working with. And I think of Sue Oberg, who uh, is the counselor here at Whiting, and she's also the counselor at Maple Valley. And the other day, we were discussing uh, a student and kind of working through how to help this young man, and she hands me this string of wooden blocks, and they're kind of, kind of all strung out. And she said, here, you do this for a while. Try to put this back into a cube. All right, so I took this thing, and I was trying to manipulate it and trying to get this whole string of wooden blocks back into a cube. Well, it wasn't working so well. And I said, well, how long am I going to keep doing this? And she said, Jeff, that's not the point. I'm not trying to have you um, make a cube. But this is what I give to kids when they need to talk through something and they can't get it out of their brain. Because one thing I know is that when you are trying to get something out, when you're trying to figure out something, you, you need to get words out to help me help you, sometimes your hands moving helps your brain slow down. And, she, and, and you know what? About every counselor I know has something on their desk that they hand to kids or hand to people that they can manipulate with their hands. And I think their good teaching is this. Is this. When we're going to God in prayer, when we're using and we're working through our prayers to God and we're praying on behalf of Jesus, what are our hands doing? Are our minds quiet enough to seek that counsel? I think it's a great illustration of where our hands need to be and how quiet our minds need to be in order to receive the counsel through God's word, through prayer, and through the wisdom of other people. That's what a good counselor does. If you are turning to counsel, there are two things that you have to bring to the table. Number one, you have to bring a willingness to trust and humble yourself. You have to trust the person counseling you, and you have to humble yourself. You've got to remove the ego that we talked about last week, your need to have to control everything, and you have to honestly seek what you are hoping to get answered. You need to get your mind right, and as we talk about all the time, and Lyle mentioned again here this morning, it's that time in that chair. It's that time when my mind and my body is quiet and still, and that's when the whispers of God can begin to fill my soul and fill my mind. We listen to wise counsel then, and we need to be prepared to apply it. So what does it look like when you turn to Jesus for counsel? Well, he was very clear about how we should pray, and that's where it begins. If you look at Luke chapter 11, and I don't have this in your notes, but we all know the first part of Luke chapter 11. When Jesus teaches his followers how to pray, he says, here is a prayer that you can pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day your daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. That's what he tells us to pray. But if you read further in Luke 11, I just read right out of the verses one, uh, 2 through 4 there. But if you look further into that passage, he also gives us the why. And we always talk about why the why is important. What comes next demonstrates why Jesus wants us to pray, and it reveals himself to be the wonderful counselor that he was foretold to be. Follow along as we continue here. Jesus says, if you, if you have a Bible and can look in chapter 11 of, of Luke, Jesus says, suppose you have a friend, 
And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And listen to what Jesus says next. Because this is assurance we have every time we seek him in prayer. Every time we seek him when we open up this book. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you will give him a scorpion? Or if he asks for an Xbox, now that's another, that's another Christmas story. If you then, through, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's what Jesus is telling his followers in that moment, and here's what he's telling us today. We've got things to solve. We've got problems to fix. We've got needs to address. Jesus is telling us, hey, seek me out. Let me counsel you. Let me guide and provide for you. Bring your prayers and petitions to me and let my word and let the Spirit speak inside of you. So I gave you a list of just a handful of verses that I want to read through with you really kind of shortly here. Proverbs 3.6, Philippians 4.6, James 1.5, 1 John 4.19, Romans 5.8. And for your chair time and for your life group time, these are verses that you can read again together and simply look at this question. What do each of these scriptures teach us about the dependability of Jesus Christ as our wonderful counselor. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present, present your request to God. James 1, 5 if any of you lacks wisdom, and I think we all can kind of stumble through life sometimes feeling like we lack some wisdom at times, and we're searching for answers and we're searching for hope, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Ask, ask, ask. Seek counsel. 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. And in Romans 5, 8, and Lyle worked with uh, another passage in Romans 5. I agree with him. It's a beautiful passage. In Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a counselor. Christ's position as our wonderful counselor means that we can trust him to listen to our problems and to guide us in the right direction. We can be sure he is listening because he told us to pray to him about our worries. We can be certain he has our best interests at heart because he loves us. And his love is so wide and so deep and, yes, so wonderful, mind-blowing, 
that we cannot fully understand it. We have assurance that these qualities exist in Jesus and they should be a litmus test to those who we surround ourselves with. Because wise counselors do four things. Wise counselors know the needs of those they serve. You talk about anyone who you go to in trust and you know that they know you pretty well. Jesus knows the inside of our very being. He knows the very number of hairs or lack of hairs on our head. The Bible assures us of that. That's how deeply Jesus knows us. We also know that wise counselors guide the actions of those they, that, 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 that they serve. They guide us. They give us wisdom. They help us set our paths straight. Wise counselors listen to the troubles of those that they serve. And a wise counselor always has the best interests of those who, serve, who they serve. Wonderful counselors simply love and serve. And those are beautiful and wonderful promises, aren't they? Coming from our very own Lord and Savior, whose birth we're about to celebrate here in a couple weeks. He's our wise counselor. And I would go one step further. This is the model that Jesus gives us when we are seeking wisdom and presenting our petitions to him. But do we have the same criteria when we lean on our family and close friends for wisdom? Are we seeking to surround ourselves with people who know us, who will help guide us, who we know listen to us unobjectively, and who has the best interests in mind for us? That's the community that we've been talking about all fall. That's the community we continue to surround ourselves with. People who know our needs, people who have our best interests in mind, are the people who love us the most. And this leads me to the conclusion of this message and something I pray we can all take for actual application in our lives. There was another insert I made that I put in your, uh, your handouts today. And I'd like you to just take that out for a moment. I want to walk through a little bit of that. And then I want to use it for not only some additional life group discussion this week, but also for your chair time. And I'm going to explain that here in just a little bit, but let me give you a little bit of the why before we build into that. It's fair to say that everyone sitting in worship here this morning is making many, many, many decisions every day, right? You're making all kinds of decisions. These are decisions that impact your family, they impact your finances, they impact your relationships, and most importantly, they impact your work, your role, our responsibilities in furthering God's kingdom. And with these decisions that you have to weigh and balance, life gets really complicated sometimes, doesn't it? Life gets complicated. And sometimes, I think we feel, at least I do, like our brains just don't always feel big enough to see the big picture, to see how the daily decisions that we make ultimately do create the environment that make up our families, our finances, our relationships, and our walks with Christ. Every decision, every single one, I believe, that is presented to us requires of us a choice in which we have to meet an expectation. And if you and I are seeking counsel from God over a decision that is presented in our life, if we are seeking his counsel and the counsel of the people that we trust the most, here are some practical questions that we need to ask when we are making big decisions, when we are trying to meet expectations. And I want to walk through those with you now because this is, I think, really practical stuff that I think can help us all. 
We've talked about the frantic pace of Christmas that we were approaching two weeks ago, and here we are in the middle of it. And I'm not sure how frantic things are for you right now or how busy things are. But I would say that in general, 365 days a year, our lives get frantic, don't they? They get moving really, really fast. And the most consequential and the most impactful decisions we make in life will be connected to one or more of the following areas that are in our lives. And I'm going to go through those in just a moment. But I simply want to say this. If there's a goal that we're all seeking when we go to wise counsel, when we seek the help of a counselor, I think it's simply this. We seek counsel in order to live fruitful lives, don't we? Isn't that why we seek wisdom? Isn't that why we seek advice? Because something isn't maybe quite going the way we want it, or there's some kind of turn that we talked about last week, or some kind of a change we're looking for, and we go to counsel because deep down we want to live fruitful lives. And fulfilling our purpose while we are here on this earth, in God's name, is the center of why we want to live those fruitful lives. And so as you're balancing decisions this week around these areas, I want to give you this challenge. Here are the things that we need to look at with every decision that we make. And Beth, one of my wise counsels, gave me this book this week. And I would encourage everybody, if you have a chance, to pick it up. It's, it's written by a, a woman named Lisa Turkhurst, and maybe some of you are familiar with some of her writings. But she wrote a wonderful book called Your Best Yes, which is simply helping us all identify with God's word, what are the best and wisest ways to make the decisions that we make? Because sometimes we get lost in lots of other things and we lose sight of these key areas. So when you're making decisions for your life, here's what you need to be thinking about. Here's what I need to be thinking about. And here's what we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking about our time. Do I have the time to invest in the demands of whatever this opportunity is? I have to weigh out my time. Our ability... Am I equipped with the necessary skills to carry out this decision? You know, if Josh were to wake up next uh, Sunday morning at 7 a.m. with strep throat and can't perform, it's not a good idea for me to be up here leading worship, okay? We have to understand our abilities and match our abilities with where we're called to be. We have to think of things in terms of our resources, our money. Can I afford the financial responsibilities that come with this opportunity? We have to ask ourselves with every choice that we make, what is my passion? What do I do in the time that I have and in the needs I'm trying to meet? What do I do that really fills up my heart, that really gets me going, that really makes me feel like I'm in that sweet spot? We have to think about our influence. We have to take our time and our passions and our energies, and we have to ask ourselves, where do my passions and my abilities influence the most people? And finally, and I think this is the root of them all, we have to talk about our season. There is something that must take a higher priority in our lives depending on what season that we're in. And seasons come and go, don't they? And I'm going to tell you the season that I'm in right now, and it was exemplified last night. I had a wonderful hour with my daughter, just Kate and me, last night because Beth was picking up the boys from a friend's house, and Kate's into these word finds. And so she, she loves to read, and I love to read with her. That's what we do together. And she had this word find, and she was asking me to help her find all these words in this scrambled up puzzle. And so I sat her down. I said, well, let's talk about horizontal and vertical lines, and that's, we'll start with that strategy. And she says, Dad, 
I'm in art. I already know what a vertical line is, and I know what a horizontal line is. And then, and then she says to me, you know what this line is? And I about say diagonal, and she goes, no, it's disco, and she's dancing like this, and she's... And I'm just thinking, oh, man, this is, this is so much fun. This is so awesome. And we just sat, and we laughed, and we, we looked for words, and, and then we got to story time, and I opened up a book. And the book is called Because of Winn-Dixie. I don't know if you've ever read it, um, but I was going to read it to her, and I opened up the front cover, and it just kind of stunned me. Inside the, 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 the front cover of the book is this little sticker, and it said inside there, to Mrs. Thielander from McKinsey Shook. And right away when I read it, I knew exactly what it was. See, McKinsey Shook is now a sophomore in, at the University of Iowa. And her dad is one of my closest friends and a, and, a, and a colleague. And he's been that colleague for 11 years. And I texted Chad right away. And I said, Chad, you're never going to believe this, but I'm about to start a book with my six-year-old daughter that your seven-year-old daughter gave to my wife 10 years ago. And so as the night went on and we got Kate to bed, I, I had this very distinct moment at about midnight last night. I was up, kind of just things spinning in my head, and there was a very clear voice, of that, that still voice that comes when you just quiet your mind, and the still voice was simply this, Jeff, the season that you're going to have to read to that little girl is going to go by like that, and you better order your life in a way that makes sure you don't miss a second of it. Think about that when I think about my kids. I think about that when I think about my wife. I think about that when I think about all the responsibilities that we have together. We have seasons in our lives. I see some young kids here. Kids, be kids. <laughs> Just be kids and enjoy being a kid. Young parents who are raising these little kids just like Beth and I are, don't miss those moments. Take every chance you can to not miss those moments. And as I pass from that season into an older season in life, then I start to reprioritize and I think, okay, where can I use my talents and treasures now that my kids are growing up? But I'm going to tell you this, and I know this with 100% certainty, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, as long as you are breathing on this earth, God is continuing to grow you and he's continuing to push you toward a purpose to further his kingdom. He's pushing you where you work. He's pushing you with the people you encounter. He is pushing you to be a difference for him. But you have to understand the season of life you're in in order to, I think, understand the priorities in which you make your decisions. So that's what I seek when I seek wise counsel. How do I order my life? How do I balance? Because here's the deal, and this is what I'm going to close with. A fruitful life looks like this. A fruitful life means that I am in a position where I am influencing others for God's kingdom. My life reflects as best as it can humanly be because I'm a human being and I'm going to make mistakes, but as best as I can possibly grow through the grace of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, the example of Christ, I show to other people. I show the fruits of the Spirit every day in my life. That should be a goal. Does my life reflect joy? Does my life reflect peace? Does my life reflect kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? That's where it starts. I'm doing something that my abilities make me capable of doing and I'm able to afford the responsibilities, the financial responsibilities that come with my choices. That's another part of as we seek counsel for the decisions we make in our lives. 
I look forward to getting up every day and doing my work and fulfilling my responsibilities. I have a passion for life. That's another huge litmus test. I have a passion for life, the life that I'm living, the life that we are doing together. And this also means that our lives are balanced and that we have time for ourselves, our families, our friends, and yes, every day, time for that chair. Time with God, time to reflect. Time to understand where it all falls into place. So when you confront decisions, here are the four things that I want to give you, and you can discuss these this week, and you can, you can have that conversation with God. When we have to decide to make any given decision, and we're going to give a yes, number one, the decision I have in front of me feels thrilling to me to say yes now. But will this yes feel the same thrill two weeks, two months, and two years from now? I think that's a very wise question that we ask for every decision we make. What are the long-term, long-term implications of, of, of what we're trying to decide? Number two, do any of the expectations that come from my yes feel forced or panicked or frantic? How many times do we make snap and rush decisions only to realize we've dug ourselves a little too deep and now we've got to kind of pull ourselves back out? We've got to take a different street the next time we face that. Number three, could any of my decisions or any parts of my decisions be tied to trying to please other people and allowing that desire to skew what's realistic or unrealistic? And number four, which wiser, and by wiser I mean older, more grounded in God's word, more experienced, more mature Christ followers who are in my sphere of influence, which wiser people do I have surrounding me that can answer that question, yes or no, that's a wise decision to make? I've laid this all out for you in this handout today because I want us talking about the decisions that we make and the things that drive us and the purposes for why we do what we do so that none of us make decisions or none of us gets, gets caught in a trap where we realize we're stuck or we get resentful or we get frustrated. Life, the seasons that we're in, we want to enjoy the moment. We want to enjoy the blessings that God gives us and we want to be in the now. And as we come to Christ this morning in prayer, as we talk about this throughout this whole worship service, the simple fact is this. He is our wise counselor. He has the keys and the answers to what we need to live fruitful lives. And the biggest blessing that he brings us is surrounding us with others who share that same passion, who share that same love for us and we have for each other. So those are our challenges this morning. That's the challenge I have for our life group discussions. That's the challenge I have for our chair time. How often are you leaning on God? How often are you leaning on your wisest, closest friends for the wonderful counsel that he promises us in all areas of our lives? Will you join me in prayer to close this morning? Father God, we are so thankful for your blessings. Your name is hallowed. Your kingdom is coming. And Father, we thank you each day for the bread you provide. We pray for forgiveness for our sins. We also pray for those we have to forgive. And Father, we just prepare for your kingdom that's coming someday. Father, I thank you for all of the generosity, all of the filling of needs that we have, everything from the food pantry to the extra clothes to all the things that we realize we can part with if it can help a neighbor or someone else in need. These are the conversations and these are the thoughts and these are the practices that we need to be thinking about this Christmas season. 
You teach us throughout your word that you come, that we are to come to you for counsel. You teach us that if we are rooted in you and we surround ourselves with others who are rooted in you, you can help guide us through any path that we walk through. And Father, just as importantly, you teach us to seek the lost, to have hearts that yearn to help others also get connected to you. You are a wonderful God, a wonderful counselor, and it's beyond our comprehension. And I pray each of us can go and live our lives in a way this week that shows the wonder of your gift to us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.